Very good morning, everyone. Yeah, thank you, uh, Elder Ellen, for leading us in service, and Mona and the music team for serving us, leading us in praises to the Lord. And also not forgetting the tech team behind. They are unseen, um, no, uh, because they are behind, but their role is very important because if they forget to click a slide, we will all notice them, isn't it? So can you believe it that now we are at the last chapter of Exodus? We started the series in April this year with chapter 1, and today we are at chapter 40. So we thank God that have taught us many valuable lessons through this book. Now allow us uh, to come to God in prayer first, shall we? Father, we thank you that you have indeed your God who called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And Father, we thank you that you are a good and faithful God. And Father, we thank you that even as Christmas is round the corner, we want to remember your goodness and your grace upon our lives uh, for giving us the privilege to know you by knowing your Son. And Father, we thank you that you have taught us so many valuable lessons through your words. And we pray that may your words take root in our hearts and bear fruits to bring you glory. And this morning, I just want to commit myself unto your loving hands. Father, may you use the meditation of my hearts to encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ here, to love you more and more. For we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I was told that Singaporeans are ranked among the most unromantic people in the world. I don't know whether that's true or not, but elsewhere they propose to, to their girlfriends by bringing them up to the Blue Mountain or Eiffel Tower and ask for their hands with bended knees and diamond ring. But us Singaporeans, we propose to our spouse by bringing them down to Tuapayo and ask them if they like to apply for a BTO flat together with us. Uh, can I have a show of hands if you're guilty of this? Okay, not many brave brothers. Oh, one, one, one brave brother over there. But today, I'd like to defend my fellow Singaporean brothers. Well, we may get laughed at by others, but think about it. We are practical husbands. No practical people, we make good husbands. What good is a diamond ring if you have no roof over your head and no place to call home to start a family? Furthermore, a HDB flat is way more expensive than a diamond ring, isn't it? So you see, that's why my wife, who was a former Malaysian, agreed to marry me when I proposed to her. Well, on a more serious note, I don't think most people get married because of a diamond ring or a roof over their head. I think the main reason why people get married is because they love each other and would like to develop their relationship further from boyfriend and girlfriend to husband and wife by committing exclusively to each other, hoping to live together happily ever after. And so like the married couple, God loves his people, and is committed to being with them. And we see that in the entire book of Exodus. I see the book of Exodus as a love story. God's love and commitment to his people, Israel. And today is the last sermon of the series. So I'd like to quickly sum up this book for us. For those who are new with us, this will be helpful for you. The first half is from chapter 1 to 18, which we covered in the first half of the year, uh, this year. Exodus begins with Israel 
God's people living under a dark cloud of hopelessness as slaves under Pharaoh in Egypt. And then in the story, we are told that Moses met God. And God instructed Moses to save his people out of the bondage of slavery. And God made himself known to Egypt, to Israel and the surrounding nations with the raw display of his power through the plagues. God returned the favour to Pharaoh by throwing Egypt into a dark cloud of darkness. God led Israel out of Egypt in a pillar of cloud and fire and guided them through the Red Sea while he threw the Egyptians' army into a panic in a cloud of darkness and drowned them. While leading his people through the wilderness, providing them with manna and water. And finally, bringing them to the foot of Mount Sinai, while Israel responds with grumbling and complaint throughout the way. In the second half of the book, which we cover from uh, chapter 19 to 40, Israel finally arrived at the foot of Mount Sinai. From out of a thick cloud high up on Mount Sinai, the Lord spoke to them. And the Lord sums up his reason for rescuing them in Exodus 19, verse 4 to 6. Can I have the next slide? You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you should speak to the people of Israel. According to Exodus 19, the Lord brought them to himself for relationship with him. And we also read that God gave them his ten words, the Decalogue, or the Ten Commandments as we know, know them by. His laws for them, for holy living, to be his kingdom of priests and his holy nation. In other words, if the first half God displayed his power to the nations through the plagues and miracles, in the second half, God is showing the nations who he is, his holiness through his holy people. And the Lord also gave them detailed instruction to build a tabernacle. Not 13 chapters of Exodus is dedicated to the tabernacle. More ink is spilled on the tabernacle than on the plagues and miracles that we're all very excited about. So just to sum up the tabernacle for us, from 25 to 31, God gave them the specification of the tabernacle. 35 to 36, verse 7, God, uh, no, Moses and uh, the Israelites, they were all busy contributing and preparing to build the tabernacle. You know, a bit like how we are doing uh, uh, fundraising, church fundraising for ARPC at Tengah right now, right? And then we see from 36, verse 8 to 39, uh, verse 43, it's the, the manufacturing or the construction of the tabernacle, all the furnitures and fittings. You know, they, it's a bit like how you know, our HDB flats are, are all prefabricated, right? All manufactured in uh, the factories, yeah? So that's how it is. But why the extensive instructions of the tabernacle? 13 chapters. Well, chapter 25, verse 8 would give us a clue. 
and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. So if the first half of the book shows God's seriousness about saving his people out of Egypt, then in the second half of Exodus, just like the Singaporean guy who is serious about the BTO flat, God is serious about the tabernacle and about dwelling with his people. And then comes the infamous incident of the golden calf in chapter 32. Just right after God made the covenant tablets with them, Israel made a golden calf and worshipped it. And we see, next slide, and we see that all idolatry finds its root in this. It's first the rejection of God, and then the replacement of God with something else to worship. It can be a person, it can be an object or a desire. For Israel, it was the golden calf. And this jeopardizes her relationship with God. And God threatens to consume them and not to go with them. And we see these in the next slide. 33 verse 3. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, and, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Well, since Israel rejected the Lord, then they are left on their own to continue on their journey. But God is still gracious and he promised to send them an angel before them, but he will not travel with them. And then in 33 and 34, Moses interceded on behalf of Israel and we also saw a covenant renewal was made. And despite the uncertainties in 35 to 39, Moses continues to instruct the Israelites to prepare and manufacture the tabernacle. And by the end of 39, all the manufacturing of the tabernacle is completed. But the question remains, will God call off the completion of the tabernacle? Well, you know, after months of planning and preparation, you know, the World Economic Forum, which was supposed to be uh, hosted in Singapore, was cancelled three months before the event in August this year due to the on, uh, ongoing COVID pandemic. And so all the hard work and preparation by our Singapore team went down the drain. For Israel, what will the ending be? You know, the ending of a movie, in every ending of a movie, we, we learn more about the character in the movie than the beginning, as the character's motive and intention is being revealed. Will God really be with his people? Well, let's find out today in chapter 40. Allow me to read uh, verses 1 to 15 for us. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, On the first day of the first month, you should erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and you should put in it the ark of the testimony, and you should screen the ark with a veil. And you should bring in the table and arrange it, and you should bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. And you shall put the altar for incense before the ark of the testimony and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. You shall set the tent of burnt offering, sorry, you shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. And you shall set up the court all around 
and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offerings and all its utensils and consecrate the altar so that the altar may become most holy. You shall also anoint the basin and the stand and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments and you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them as you anoint their father that they may serve me as priests and their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. So we see finally in chapter 40, the book ends with good news. Hooray! God gave the go-ahead for the project. And so from verses 1 to 15, we read that God commands Moses to erect and put the tabernacle and its furnitures together to complete the tabernacle. And we see that despite Israel messing it up big time and breaking the covenant, yet God is still keen to dwell with his people and to restore their relationship with him. We see from the ending that God is faithful in keeping the covenant and has chosen to extend his grace and forgiveness to mess up people. But we see that it is important for God's people to respond rightly to God's grace and forgiveness. See, God's grace, things like God's grace is not a blank check for us to sin. No, rather God's grace is an invitation for us to get back right with Him. And that's exactly how Exodus ends. Earlier on, Israel failed God miserably. But now Moses and the people respond to God's grace with obedience. From verses 16 to 33, we read about how Moses, together with all the people, work together in unison to finish the task that God has commanded them back in Exodus 25 to make him a sanctuary that he may dwell in their midst. And they were to do and build the, the tabernacle exactly as God has instructed them. We see that God dwelling with his people is predicated on their obedience to him. And now that the tabernacle is finally assembled and erected, we come to the most important passage of Exodus 40. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the, tab the tabernacle throughout all their journeys Whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set up. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout their journeys. So we see that the ending of Exodus shows us that 
God took the initiative to come down, to come near, to be with his people. God tabernacled with his people. If you recall previously when, when they met God at Mount Sinai, can I have the next slide? When they met God at Mount Sinai on chapter 24, verse 15 to 16, we see, then Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Previously, when they met God at Mount Sinai, God's glory dwelt high up on Mount Sinai, and the Israelites were not allowed to go near to him. God appears in a glorious theophany as a devouring fire on top of Sinai. God was out of reach. He transcends over above his people at Mount Sinai. And we also read in 33 verse 7, that now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. This needs some explanation here. Previously, before the completion of the tabernacle, which God instructed them to build, otherwise, aka also known as the tent of meeting, Moses used to commune with God in an old tent of meeting, which is referred to in chapter 33. This old tent of meeting, Moses had to pitch this old tent of meeting outside the camp, far off from the people in order to meet God there. But now, God came down from Mount Sinai and God came near and came into their camp to dwell in their midst. We read in chapter 40, verse 34, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord feared the tabernacle. You know, it's a bit like maybe uh, the, the PM or the president shifting into our neighborhood. You know, now God is dwelling with his people. It shows his willingness to be associated with them. Now, God is not so lofty that he deals with his people at an arm's length. Now, sometimes, you know, we, we relate with uh, people at a distance. Now, people whom we consider our acquaintance. Now, we, we relate to them with a hi, bye. Or people, maybe we consider them our friends, or colleagues. Or we might be willing to go out for a meal with them or hang out together with them after work. And people whom we consider close friends or family, we are willing for them to stay over at our place or we have them uh, or, or we stay over at their place instead. So here we see that God shows his willingness to be associated with his people by dwelling with them. Next in verse 35, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord feared the tabernacle. We see that God is a holy God. Yet at the same time, we see that because of God's holiness, His glory feared the tabernacle, that Moses is now kept at bay. And we see that God, who's holy, 
and sinful humans cannot dwell together in the same space. Hence, humans cannot approach God at our own terms. And this can first be seen on Mount Sinai and also in the design of the tabernacle where only the high priest gets to enter the most holy place once a year. Next, we see that God is a God who guides his people. In verses 36 and 37, throughout all their journeys, wherever, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the next day that it was taken up. So here we see that God appears like a shepherd. God dwells with them, yet at the same time, God leads them on their journey through the wilderness towards the promised land in a pillar of cloud. And God determines the time that Israel ought to set out on her journey and the time they ought to rest. And whatever lies ahead of them in the wilderness or whoever awaits them in the land of Canaan, if Israel were to remember God's past track record of defeating Pharaoh, then they have every reason to be hopeful and bring him with confidence because God is journeying with them. But more importantly, God journeying with his people confirms that they are distinct, that they are special people, that they truly belong to God. Now here in Singapore, we have a truly Singaporean way to show that we belong to the same household or same family. Like example, during Chinese New Year, in order to show that we are unique and belong to the same family, what do families do? They wear matching colors or the same uh, 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 the t-shirts with same design. Now, I remember in the past years, a lot of families bought their t-shirt from Giordano. So after a while, everyone wears the same Giordano t-shirt uh, for Chinese New Year. And uh, Malay families do that too during Hari Raya where uh, they make the whole family's clothing from a single piece of cloth. And we do that too during church camp to show that we belong to the same ARPC family. Uh, remember, we, we all wear the same camp t-shirt for a group photo. That seems like a, a decade ago. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but how did God show that, true, that Israel truly belongs to him? Well, let me explain. Earlier in Moses' intercession for Israel, when he pleaded with God to forgive them and not to forsake them, Moses pleaded with God that his, he, he told God that his presence with them would confirm that they truly belong to him. In 33 verse 15 to 16, Moses said to him, said to the Lord, if your presence will not go, go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the, on the face of the earth? See, the word distinct here is the, has the same root word as the one used in Exodus chapter 11, verse 7. In the final plague, the final plague of the, the killing of the firstborn, where the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. So here we see 
that God's sovereignty over Israel in leading them, in journeying with them, confirms that they truly belong to Him. And the fifth point we see is that God dwelling with them shows His faithfulness. Now, I recall when my kids were young tots, uh, my favourite parenting duty is to put them to bed. I would lay them beside me on the bed, you know, play a, a lullaby, hoping that they would fall asleep. But often, I would fall asleep before them, uh, which means I, I fell asleep on the job and I left them unattended. I know, right? What a terrible father I am. But God doesn't fall asleep on the job. We see that God is with them, watching over them 24-7. Previously in Exodus 13, verse 21 to 22, God led them through the Red Sea in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And now in chapter 40, verse 38, next slide. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was, it, was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So here we see God is ever faithful, being with his people 24-7. And I guess the tabernacle wasn't because God was homeless and needed a place to stay. The tabernacle was more for Israel's sake as a visible reminder that God truly was with them. And what a glorious ending to the book of Exodus. The book started with the Israelites living under a cloud of hopelessness, living as slaves to Pharaoh with no hope and no future. And now the book ends not only with the completion of the tabernacle, which is the climax of the entire book, but with God's presence dwelling with his people. As God's glory filled the tabernacle, they now live under a glorious cloud of hope, which dispels away all the previous darkness. And so we have come to the end of Exodus. God dwelling with his people. God wanting a relationship with them. As for us, God wants to dwell with us too. But sin still exists. So God took the initiative to dwell with us through his son. We see John chapter 1, verse 14. Next slide. And the word referring to Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. As you know, the word dwelt is the same word as the root word tabernacle. Jesus, tabernacle among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And just as God came down from Mount Sinai to dwell amongst the Israelites, Jesus came down from heaven to dwell amongst us. He is the glory of God in human flesh. And Jesus became one of us in the human sense to be associated with us. And even as Moses is kept at bay and cannot approach God freely, but we see that Jesus broke down the barrier so that now we can come near to God freely. How? In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 20, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, 
but the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Jesus, by dying on the cross, his blood washed away our sins once and for all. And by him, we can come to God freely. It is by God's grace that God invites sinners to come to him through his son. Guess what? Christmas is just round the corner. And one of my favorite Christmas songs is the song that we, we sang earlier on. Oh, come you unfaithful. It's God's invitation for us to come to him. Initially, when I read, uh, when I saw the, the title of, of this uh, Christmas carol, I was thinking, well, is there a typo error? I, I recall that there was an O come, all you faithful, right? All ye faithful. But I never heard of one where, which invites unfaithful people to come to the Lord. Well, think about it. If God only expects perfect people to come to him, then none of us would have made it. Just reflect and meditate upon the lyrics of this hymn. Isn't it beautiful? It says, O come you unfaithful, come weak and unstable. Come, know you are not alone. O come barren and waiting, once weary of praying. Come, see what your God has done. Christ is born, Christ is born, Christ is born for you. Next slide. O come bitter and broken. Come with fears unspoken. Come, taste of his perfect love. Come, guilty and hiding ones. There is no need to run. See what your God has done. Christ is born. Christ is born. Christ is born for you. If I don't croak, I would have sang this song for you. You get the gist, isn't it? What does all this mean? It means that we are graced by God. We are all messed up people. You may have a checkered past, a terrible past. You may have messed up your life or your marriage or your relationship with God. And the world may condemn you for your failures. But God has chosen to love you by forgiving you in Christ. There's true freedom in Christ. So, Come to him to receive his grace and forgiveness. And we also see that there's now no need for the tabernacle or temple anymore. Why? Well, since we have been made holy by Jesus, God now dwells with us, within us, through the Holy Spirit. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you, have, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Previously, God dwelt amongst the Israelites. Now God dwelt within us. And this makes us distinct. This confirms that we are special that we truly belong to God. You are not your own, so glorify Him in the body. Although this passage is speaking about glorifying God in the body, I'd like to apply it further, that we are to glorify God in the way we live our lives. Well, this means two things. The first is, since we are not our own, 
it means that God is the boss. He's in charge, not us. It means that you no longer call the shot to rule your own life any way you want. God is leading us. It means that we are headed on a different path from the world. Since God is leading us, we share different values from the world. And you will notice that there, if you try to live according to how God leads you, there will be a clash of values with the world. The world values freedom without God, while we value freedom living under God. It's a paradox, isn't it? The world values self-independence. They call themselves self-made billionaire. Whereas we value God-dependency. The world boasts about their achievements, whereas we value humility in God, thanksgiving to Him. The world values aggression and cancer culture. They oppose anyone who's different from them. While we value gentleness and forgiveness to those who oppose us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as Christians, if we were to follow God, we are, we are not made to fit in the world. We are meant to stand out, stand out for God. And next, we see that the Holy Spirit dwells within us and the Spirit enables us to live holy lives so that our words and actions can now honour and glorify God. And we have to reflect God's holiness and to reflect our relationship with the Holy God that we truly belong to Him by living in such a way that brings Him glory. And God's grace and presence through the Spirit means that we are never left to the limit of our own resources, our own ability to live a holy life. Next, we see like the Israelites, we are now in the preparation phase. What I mean? We are now in the preparation phase of building a place of worship. They built the tabernacle. We are now in the preparation phase of building ARPC at Tengah. So in a few years' time, God willing, ARPC at Tengah will be up. Can I have the next slide? Yes. Yeah, people tend to see religious buildings as holy places. No, building, uh, yeah, the building at ARPC at Tengah is important. But our ultimate aim is not merely to construct an aesthetically pleasing-looking church. Our distinction is not in the building. Because very soon, there will be nicer church building than ours, bigger and more uh, modern in design, uh, coming up all over the place. Our distinction and our purpose is to reflect the indwelling risen Christ in our lives. The Bible tells us that God's Spirit dwells in us collectively. So there's now no such thing as a holy place but holy people. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 and 22 tells us, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place 
for God by the Spirit. So collectively, even as God dwells in us, we show our distinctiveness that Christ indeed dwells in us. How? By abiding in Christ, by abiding in His words, by abiding in His love. If you want to show that we truly stand out, it's not by the, the ARPC at Tengah Building. Actually, to be honest, when I look, uh, sorry, I, I, no offense to the architect, but I look at the building, it's not outstanding. It, it doesn't have a wow, blow my mind factor. It's, it's a decent, functional building which is um, designed and constructed at what we can afford. But what would really blow people's mind is not the building. It's if we truly live as we abide in Christ. Even as God's Spirit dwells in us, we are to dwell in Him. So there's a mutual abiding. abiding. And if we were truly to abide in Christ, we would abide in His words. We would love and obey His words, which means we will grow in our knowledge of His words and grow in our love for one another. So brothers and sisters in Christ, in closing, I just like to encourage us collectively as God's chosen people whom His spirits dwell um, within us that we must continue to encourage one another. We must continue to show love uh, towards one another. And so what's one way that perhaps we can show uh, encouragement to one another? I would say one practical way is the gift of presence. What do I mean? Uh, I mean by coming to church itself, by, by attending uh, a DG. Now that we can meet in groups of five, oops, uh, DG is uh, on a break now. But yeah, but, but gathering together as God's people, we encourage one another with, with our presence. And this is one way we can actually uh, yeah, grow in our faith. And because when, when we come, uh, we get to know one another, we chat with one, one another, with SMM. Yeah, we, we can pray and love one another. And hopefully, it's through our love for each other that we stand distinct, that we show that we indeed belong to, to the true and living God. So do allow me to pray for us. Father, we thank you that just as you have called the Israelites out of the bondage of slavery, you, have, you too have called us out of the bondage of sin to, be, to live as your holy people. Father, we thank you that you have given us Jesus, your son, who died on the cross to cleanse us from all our sins. And you have also given us the indwelling of the Spirit who lives within us to enable us to be your distinct people, to enable us to live holy lives. We thank you for giving us your words as well, that we can abide in your words, to dwell upon your words, to know what a great and awesome God you are, to live in such a way that our values are different from the world, that we stand out from the world, that the world may see that we are indeed your people. We pray that may you enable us this Christmas to live a Christ-like life, to live in such a way that we will bring you the greatest glory. For we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.